0: And so Christian will read for us, then pray, and we'll get into it.
1: Luke 24. But on the first day of the week, at the early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home, marveling at what had happened. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for this moment in history that we're gonna talk through today. I pray that you would be with Jonathan as he communicates your word, Lord, that we would have open ears, Father, to hear what he has to say, what you will speak through him, Father, use him, Um, give him your words, and Lord, help us to, to listen, to understand, and to walk in what you're teaching. In your name we pray, amen. Amen.
0: Thank you, Christian. So the resurrection of Jesus frees us to live. This resurrection that we just heard about, seeing that we rally around, that we celebrate uh, most Sundays, and especially on Easter, actually frees us to live. I want to start by giving big thanks to Dave Hansen for preaching last week. When he preaches, I call him Dr. Dave Hansen, um, because that, you know, immediate entry and respect and credentials for him. Um, But it was so good to be able to watch that from afar. And I know you guys were encouraged. As he preached here. But it was a joy to get away and spend time with family, even my in laws. It's better to hang out with in laws in places that are tropical paradises, and so I recommend that. Um, But we got in some resting, some playing, some pondering, even some creating. Everybody, when we get away, they just start to write stories, and we just have a good time as a family together. And I even spent a little bit of time dreaming of Advent and just what the Lord has for us. In this season, as we transition to a new year, and think what's ahead for Reservoir Church. Uh, and the truth is, though, in the, in the midst of that and getting away from vacation, I'm really not always a good traveler. Um, I've traveled to lots of places, lived on other continents, and many places in this continent, but I'm not really great at traveling because I really like home. I like the routine of life, the known, the expected. I like my own toilet. Like, that's a really weird thing to say, but it's true. <laughs> and there was no bad experiences. Julie was worried about the water in Mexico, but we were good. But I like the expected. And so usually towards the end of our trips, no matter where we are, how beautiful it is, how wonderful the time is, I can get a little bit homesick. Any of you guys know that feeling? You just The desire to get back to what you know? Uh, Levi can't wait to get back to Boise and his wife, Um, but he's got another week at least, so he's got to suffer. But it's that longing that we have for our place, where you belong, to the things that you know and the people that you know, the comfort that hopefully we find at home. And really, to be honest, I just miss the dogs. I wanted to, And I got some great snuggles when we got back. And I, I don't know why humans don't greet each other like dogs greet their humans because it's such a sweet moment. But I think homesickness is a good way to describe what we should be sensing typically in the church calendar at the start of Advent. And while we sometimes make it all bright and sugar filled, this approach of Christmas, Advent, Advent is essentially... Not about tinsel and trees or presents and pine. It's the turn of the church calendar that reminds us of our waiting. It certainly is looking at that first arrival, the birth of Jesus to a virgin in a stable. And it is waiting in light of the second arrival still to come. His return will reign forever with us. And in doing so, setting us up to think of these things in a season on the church calendar, it can take on some gravity of life at the beginning of Advent. So we're meant to think about the woes of the world, the struggles of our own lives, the constant stumbling onward that we experience. And I think Advent rightly pushes us to look deep into these longings for something better. There's a a reason we have them, a reason they exist. There's a reason why we long for home. And rather than just paper over those longings with shiny foil paper, we wait with them. We encounter them. We think about them as we wait. Fleming Rutledge, a great old Episcopalian Uh, priest. And she says that in the church, the season of Advent, it's superficially understood as a time to get ready for Christmas. But in truth, it's the season for contemplating the judgment of God. Advent is a season that when properly understood does not flinch from the darkness that stalks us in all this world. Advent begins in the dark and moves towards the light, but the season should not move too quickly or too glibly, lest we fail to acknowledge the depth of the darkness. As our Lord Jesus tells us, unless we see the light of God clearly, what we call light is actually darkness. How great is that darkness? An advent bids us take a fearless inventory of the darkness, the darkness without and the darkness within. So that's where we start. That's the postures we enter into this season. And I think Luke 24 is an advent text for us. Because it catches us looking for home and it gives us wings to fly at the same time. And so, where are we in the story, in this account of the ministry of Jesus that's been recorded by Luke? We've just come from the bloody cross and we find ourselves here in a garden. And it, cross on that hill where there were words of paradise spoken to a sinner and Jesus giving up his spirit to death, his body taken and laid in a borrowed tomb that was sealed behind a stone. But the women were watching, Luke tells us. The women who had come with him from Galilee, these are his disciples, those that had heard his preaching, witnessed his miracles, and some of them were recipients themselves of the miraculous. And they prepared spices and ointments to properly bury their Savior. And the Sabbath came, and they rested, he tells us. To be honest, when we think about this, and it's, it's really just, it flows from that thought of rest to and on the next morning. But to be honest, I don't think they really knew what to do. We don't get any dialogue of that Saturday here from Luke, but we can imagine it. Certainly, all of Jesus' followers are huddled together, wondering what had happened and how things could have gone this wrong. That the teacher that they trusted in could be killed, murdered innocently on a cross. It represents Holy Saturday for us, a day of tension, of darkness, of uncertainty. And it's a lot like Advent can be. So they just did the next thing. Didn't know what was going on. They just did what was normal. And when they do, wow. Something tremendous is revealed. It's the truth that the resurrection of Jesus frees us to live. Just two ideas this morning. We want to start first with faith that... Fills. And this is what we get from the resurrection of Jesus, especially at Advent. And here we have the women coming to the tomb, and I wonder if they had given any thought how to deal with the stone. Like they've prepared spices, but his body had been sealed. But when they arrived, the stone is actually rolled away and they didn't find the body of Jesus. And this is a scandalous event. This is befuddling to those women that are there prepared to anoint the body so it won't stink, so it will uh, be pleasing. He's not there and it's just as he promised. Two men greet them who from other accounts, the other gospels we know are actually angelic figures. They greet them and they remind him he is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and on the third day rise. So Jesus clued in his followers multiple times. And we've seen that in our study of the Gospel of Luke. He says a prophet should not perish away from Jerusalem. Then in Luke 9, he said to them, but who do you say I am? That important conversation about who the people are saying is and who they think he is. And Peter answers, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. Then later in Luke 18 and taking the 12 to himself, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day he will rise But they understood none of these things, and the saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. So he's quoting the prophecies that are older still. It's just that promise of the prophetic voice that had come before for God's people, that the suffering servant was the one by whose stripes we would be healed. And the women had heard these things. Luke tells us that they remembered. So as promised, Jesus is risen. But what does that mean? What does it prove or deliver for us? In the question the angels ask, I think it's tremendously helpful for us. And we see this in verse 5. And they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? I think that's really the the cosmic question that we have to face, because how often we face our longings, this ache for something better, and we do so by looking for the living among the dead. Because the truth is that we are bent and conditioned as humans to look for satisfaction. To look for a a filling of what we would call that God void in our heart. That desire for something better. Something to answer the ache that is at the deepest part of who we are. Spiritually, we can just say that this is our hearts always looking for justification. Like Disney would have us think differently. Moana tells you the most important thing is that voice inside you. We have to hear that voice is longing for something different and deeper to be made right, to be proven and accepted, to have word. We know as we gather in the church that we need something more, the righting of wrong. And if we have language for it, we essentially say we need a solution to sin. To the rejection of God that is so central to our humanity. And when we don't trust God's revealed reality, though, we have a tendency to look in the wrong places for what we need. I have to confess to you, I you you pay me to study Scripture to be one that finds satisfaction in Christ, to see Him in the Word, and to declare it to other people. But even me, I on occasion will look for satisfaction in other things, look for the living among the dead, and we do it in pleasure, in things of varied identity and defining ourselves. That which we can control, we look to those things. And it's it's not always bad things, right? It can be good things that we make ultimate things. It can be family. It can be work. It can be healthy physicality. What the resurrection helps us see is that the offer of satisfaction, of justification is actually true and accomplished. That Jesus really did solve that longing, that all of that for us on the cross. It points to the finality of the cross. We really are forgiven. We really are free from the weight of sin in the world. And we really can find satisfaction in Jesus. And we believe it. I mean, we gather each week. We have groups to celebrate this truth. Jesus' death was for us. In Him we are forgiven. Jonas? Amen. Thank you. I, I did tell him I needed some amens, but he hadn't given me any yet. So. I want to prime the pump a little bit. Right. But all sin is dealt with on the cross. Right. It is finished. I got the tattoo. It's permanent. Right? But if we're honest, sometimes we don't remember it well. That's why I needed the tattoo. right? Because we can, on occasion, live empty and think we need to earn something more. We have to confess in the right way, perform just well enough, have enough attendance at church, which you totally do. Right. But that's for my justification, not for yours. But in study this week, I encountered this story of Bob George. Anybody remember Bob George, who's old radio preacher, also wrote some books? But somebody was recounting listening to his show on a Sunday after he had preached a sermon at church and he's driving home. And you should know, I do not listen to other preaching when I drive home. I just listen to Rent Collective or something, right? It's much better for me. But in response to a listener that had called in that was wondering if he had been forgiven enough, if he was really saved, if he could trust in God, if his daily confession was working, uh, Bob George gives us some fuel for our fire. And this believer, uh, uh, all his life, he'd gone to church his whole life and He's quoted as saying, I really want to believe that God forgives me, but I can't accept it. How can you know that God forgives your sins? And this is the question. He's been struggling with doubts about God's forgiveness. And in the conversation, it comes to the truth that he's been struggling with this thought for 62 years, like his whole life. It felt like he had wasted his life begging God for forgiveness. This is what Bob George said to him. He said, until you rest in the finality of the cross, you'll never experience the reality of the resurrection. Here's the good news. You are forgiven and forgiveness is not something you earn. It's something God in Christ has already done for you. Jesus has already forgiven all of your sins, past, present and future On the cross, God forgave the sin you committed long ago, and he's already forgiven the sins you'll commit tomorrow. And that is what the finality of the cross means, that you are now a saint, utterly, fully saved. The cross can be trusted for us because Jesus walked out of the grave, right? The, The resurrection proves that the work was actually finished. And he surrendered his spirit, gave himself up, that that truly met the wrath against sin on our behalf and makes us righteous through that word. If he stayed in the grave, I suppose there's some like theological or intellectual argument and say, well, he could have still given himself and made us just, but it is actually, we have a confidence now in it because he rose from the dead. As he reigns over all things. And it's this news that we need at the first days of Advent when things can seem so dark as we wait that God has forgiven you once and for all in Christ. The good news is that Jesus then provides us a way back to this like fully transcendent relationship with our Creator. And this is the clarity we need in the waiting. This makes sense of the Saturday in between, and it's what changes everything. And the lives of these women at the tomb are changed forever. The lives of all who believe in the finished work of Jesus are changed forever. As Dallas Willard said, it is a wonderful thing to know that God is no longer dealing with us on the basis of our sin. Like, I was convicted. Like, I'm always thinking, like, what do I need to provide the people at Reservoir Church? What do we need to give to make this church bigger? Because every pastor just wants a bigger church. I have, like, a prideful, flesh desire to be famous. Right? Thank you for laughing at that, Carrie. But the Lord is so kind that that is not, like, my fame days are over. Google it. No, don't do it. Right? But I'm always thinking, like, what can I give people? Like... How do you get people to engage and be involved? And, and the Lord just keeps saying, all you need to give them is rest. Like over and over again, remind them that the work is finished. They are in secure because of what Christ has done for you. That's what the resurrection tells us when the clouds get heavy and the light seems dim. This is what keeps us. Christ and him crucified. Give us, it gives us faith that fills. It doesn't leave us longing, that matches our longings with Jesus, our satisfaction. And it's what keeps us coming back. It's what we always go to that we might stay full. I often talk about eating. You can look at me and tell that I like to eat. But just think about nutrition. Like If we could survive for all of life on one meal alone... How boring would that be, right? You'd miss out on all kinds of good flavor. If I just like recount you, oh, that cheeseburger that I had 30 years ago, that's really fueled me and given me strength ever since, right? How many delicious cheeseburgers would have I missed in the meantime? Like a, a well-cooked steak, my smoked ribs are the best ribs you are ever going to have. And if I just had those once, how boring would that be, Right? But the truth is we have to eat again. And what a great physical reminder that we have to savor again. We get our fill and we thrive, but then we empty a little bit and we need to be filled again, right? And if we live this Christian life and we're just like, oh, I'm good. I I believe 30 years ago I had that meal that one time and I'm carried through. Like the work of Jesus is sufficient, but you need to consume that truth over and over again to stay full. This is what the resurrection invites us back to, to the table of Jesus' finished work for us. And it is so good. And the truth is that this satisfaction does not leave you wandering because there is actually more for us. Lawrence and I, where's Lawrence? He went to a kid. We were talking a little bit about this morning, like old friends we've had that, you know, have, have walked away from the faith and how difficult that is, even to us in difficult times of doubt for ourselves. And Stacy and I were lamenting this week and we were pondering, like, how can we neglect this gift of grace that we've been given? We were reflecting on a group of friends that we had years ago, and we, like our gospel posse, right? They're good friends that the Lord provided for us at the right time in our lives to declare the finished work of Jesus but the truth is in the 10 years the decade that we've been friends the waiting has been hard on some of us and honestly a few have stumbled back into seeking the living among the dead and have ended up missing what the life of the filled is meant to be like, what a warning to us to not move off of the consuming of his grace and realizing that it's transforming us for something. It happens in our text. When the women told these things, not everyone believed. It seemed like an idle tale to many of them. But Peter was curious. And that gets us to faith that flies. And everyone else is in the grave. All the other mystics, all the other great teachers, all the other prophets, all the other enlightened ones, all of humanity is still in the grave. But Jesus is reigning over all things and waiting for the day of his final advent to dwell with us forever. And resurrection gives us new life to live, not merely to wait under the clouds of brokenness and soul sickness, but to be set apart, to thrive, to bring Christ's kingdom to bear in our lives. As one writer says, the reality of the resurrection being made alive in Christ can only happen when the issue of our sin is over. And now we can live as new creations and sing and dance in the kingdom of God's beloved Son of Paul writing in Romans 6 do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father we too might walk in newness of life for if we have been united with him in a death like his we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his this is us now because of the resurrection walking in newness of of light no no longer seeking the living among the dead but going on having found our source of fulfillment and living for his glory and experiencing our greatest good because he's empowered us to do that like some of you know you and so our 10 year old he loves roller coasters like can i owe him like two more trips to SeaWorld? before our membership ends at the end of the year, to ride some roller coasters. And um, you have to be honest, I'm still learning to trust Jesus enough to actually go on some of these roller coasters. I won't do it. That's why we take Jack, we take his all kid, he's Ewan's buddy, right? Um, But you buy a ticket, and then you ride. And for some, it is exhilarating, right? I've been close enough to death, I don't need to do it. But while the ticket, the permission, the ability to be in line is good, it's cool that you have a membership to SeaWorld or that you have a ticket to that amazing roller coaster, the thrill is actually in the ride. And when it comes to life in Christ, some of us has settled for just holding the ticket. And the resurrection means we're not merely given a ticket, but we're actually put on the ride. We're strapped in, we're ready to go, and we are launched because of the same power that saves us, that raised Christ from the grave, runs through us by the Spirit so that we would live, that we would fly. Like Christian life is not boring. It is it is difficult and it is beautiful. And that's what we're meant for. And we have everything we need for it in Jesus because of the resurrection. Like the ticket and here's the ride for this very reason. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For in these qualities, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. From knowledge to life. And the resurrection delivers that for us. This is what a life looks like that is different. That faces our longing and knows where those longings actually come from. Because we know fulfillment's source. And we go to Him. It's a life that then spreads hope to others. Just like these women, the very first preachers of the resurrection. We tell others of forgiveness and new life. It's a life that is oriented forward to the future hope of home. One we were meant for, for all of eternity. Again, from Fleming Rutledge, she says, the disappointment, brokenness, suffering, and pain that characterize life in this present world is held in dynamic tension with the promise of future glory that is yet to come. In that Advent season, Intention, the church lives its life. And that's where we are. Victory has been won. We are on our way home and we can have hope because of that future glory is as sure as Christ's resurrection. And as we wait, we ask to be transformed, to be like him To be sacrificial, to be merciful, to be gracious, confident in the hope that we have. We end up selling everything for the field that has the treasure. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. Advent can have us marveling in lots of things. In lights, in nostalgia, the hope of toys, big and small. But friends, may we marvel upon Jesus, our resurrected King. It's Christmas, the incarnation, his first advent means something because the resurrection proves what was promised and now we can live resurrection of Jesus frees us to live. Angels' question is still our question. Are you seeking the living among the dead? Friends, I implore you to see Jesus. He is what your heart actually aches for. For forgiveness, identity, purpose. Run to Him and nowhere else. And then live in Him on your way home. What the resurrection means for us is that what is Christ is yours. Righteousness, inheritance, eternity, and you can live now for his glory, united with him for all of life. So when the heaviness of Advent settles in, when we feel the angst of waiting for Jesus' return, we can take hope in his resurrection. We can have faith that fills and that flies. I want to end this morning with a prayer from Every Moment Holy. Do you guys know this book of liturgies, a phenomenal thing. But there's a liturgy called Inconsolable Homesickness that I, I think we can use not only for moments of homesickness but for the early part of Advent as we long for our home. So let's pray this. Let me steward well, Lord Christ, the gift of homesickness, this grieving for a childhood gone, this ache for distant family, lost fellowship, past laughter, shared lives, and the sense that I was somewhere I belong. It is a good, good thing to have a home, but now that I have gone from it, let me steward well, O God, this homesick gift. As I know my wish for what has been is not some solitary ache, but is woven with a deeper longing for what will one day be. This yearning to return to what I knew is even more than that, a yearning for a place my eyes have yet to see. So let me steward the sacred yearning well. Homesickness is indeed a holy thing like the slow burning of an immortal beacon set ablaze to bid us onward. The shape of that ache for another time and place is the imprint of eternity within our souls. So let those sorrows do their work in me, O God. Let them stir such yearnings as would fix my journey forward toward that place for which I've always pined. Oh, my soul, have there not always been signs? Oh, my soul, were we not born with hearts on fire before we were old enough even to know why songs and waves and starlight so stirred us? Had we not already tiptoed to the edge of that vast sadness, bright and good, and felt ourselves somehow stricken with a sickness unto life? Hardly had we ventured from our yards when we felt ourselves so strangely far from something and somewhere that we Despaired of ever reaching, that we turn to hide the welling of our eyes. We knew it even then, as the opening of a wound this world cannot repair, the first birthing of that weight every soul must wake up to alone, because it is the burden of that wild and lonely space that only God in his eternity can fill. And as we wait, the sacred homesick sorrow works in us to cultivate a faith that knows one day He will. That is the holy work of homesickness to teach our hearts how lonely they have always been for. God. So let these sighs and tears, Lord Jesus, prepare me for that better gladness that will be mine. Let all your children learn to grieve well in this life, knowing we are not just being homesick. We are letting sorrow carve the spaces in our souls that joy will one day fill. Oh, Holy Spirit, bless our grief and seal, seal our hearts until that day. Amen. Good and holy God, we thank you for your word, for the declaration of the resurrection of Christ. The proof that the work of the cross is final, that we now have new life in you. Lord, help us to be a people that lives that new life well, that trusts in you and from our filling runs after you all the more that we'd experience in these moments the joy that you've prepared for us. Be glorified in us. In Jesus' name.